There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you're not one of them. Welcome to F1Weekly.com. My name is Clark Rogers. I'm the host of the program. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co-host. This is podcast number 1012, October 2nd, 2023, Nasser. Thank you, sir. In today's Motorsports Madness, here in the Palatial Studios, we have sweet wine from PA, sour grapes from south of the border, season so far, and much, much more. Back to you, sir. Thank you, Nasser. On today's program, Andretti bid accepted to join F1 by the FIA. Everybody's all pumped up except for Formula One. Is Max Verstappen a legend already? Will George begin to get shorter as he deals with LCH? And is Las Vegas turning into a huge mega disaster? I've heard a lot of backstories, and there's some funky stuff going on in Vegas. And of course, stay tuned for all that and more. This week's interview, deep down in the bowels of F1Weekly.com archives, we bring you our favorite, because he was Fernando's favorite, yes, it's Giancarlo Fisichella. Bravo, 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 bravo. And just a reminder, we need your contributions. Keep this program up on the servers. Just click on the support f1weekly.com support tab. You know you want to. What we say over here is just just eat a can a week, you know, a buck a week. Nasser, welcome to the studio. I know you're pumped up about Andretti. You know Mario. There's a lot of love. So they've been approved by the FIA, but you know it's an uphill climb. Well, of course, you can never please everybody. And, of course, this big news is very good news for U.S. racing, for American racing fans, and I think for Formula One also. No sooner was this announced... Formula One made their own announcement saying they will do their own assessment. I think some of the team principals backed by multi-billion dollar businesses are just being super greedy and I'd like to add on the word but this is a family show I'll pass on it and which is very very disappointing. Uh, the Andretti name is one of the great legendary names in the history of motor racing Formula One team principals should be honored and very welcoming to their entry. And they're also coming with not just Andretti name, but also General Motors and Caddyshack, which, you know, it's still a major player around the world. Toto Wolf, I think, should be more focused, and I say this with all due respect to him, but I think he should be more focused on trying to get his cars going fast than slowing down Andretti Global's entry. And that's my rage of the race. What say you, compadre? 
Well, I'm happy for Andretti. I think this is the first step. It's a long haul. And of course, this is a team effort with Cadillac. And now this makes Formula One an American sport, so to speak. Full-blown Americanism, American car. So it'll be completely different from what Haas has put together and their relationship with Ferrari. So it's going to be interesting. And uh, I always say, be careful for what you wish for, because now he's bitten off a really big chunk of gristle, and it takes a lot to get through. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I'm hoping it happens in my lifetime. You know, I frankly, I don't expect Toto Wolff or Christian Horner to change their tune overnight, but hopefully the European antitrust laws will force them to get off their high holy horses. And we'll keep an eye on the story and see what happens, but at least the first hurdle has been cleared. They have been approved by FIA, which was really, you know, now at least they are, they have a step in the hallway of the uh, Formula One world. And hopefully it will work out, work out. You know what has really surprised me? There's always special feeling for Paisan, compadres. You know that, right? So it was no surprise that, uh, Zach Brown was in favor of, uh, Andretti getting an entry, but what really has surprised me, and maybe the gentleman is saying because he loves his job and his high paycheck, that even Stefano Domenicali, as Paisan and Italiano, as Mario Andretti, that he is not interested in, uh, they are questioning what they will bring to the table. I mean, what do these people want? Do they want him to bring back Benito Mussolini so trains run on time? You know what I'm saying? I do understand what you're saying, but they also... You know, I'm, I'm, and this has been going on for a long time. I'm pretty sure you know this, but elite Europeans see Americans. I, I mean, let's get real. They see Americans as loud, obnoxious, white trash. And Andretti is looked at upon as an American, not as an Italiano, a Paisano, a Bravissimo, a Machismo. He's looked on as an American and... Maybe some people remember the Concorde flights, the fur coats. I don't know, Nasser, but there's something. There is a je ne sais quoi that irks the European hierarchy. And they just, it's like a homeowner's association, Nasser. You know how they can be so fussy. Yeah, but I think uh, it's more about greed. Like somebody once said to me, uh, money has no color and no religion. Uh, so I think it's all about greed. I mean, they just cannot say, oh, it's an American guy, we're not interested. But it's very disappointing, and I don't think it's... Uh, they are not looking at the overall good of the sport. I mean, just imagine Andretti name. Uh, they will bring more American companies as sponsor. The sport will grow here, and hopefully they will bring in some good... You know, two more drivers will have an opportunity to race in Formula One. So I just don't get it. I mean, this is not... This is not, let's just put it this way. This is not Ted Kravitz and, uh, and let's say Gene Haas's brother-in-law starting a Formula One team, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean, but I want you to think about it this way. Some of those people may have accidentally switched over to the NASCAR race in Talladega and may have caught the refueling can on fire in the pits and everybody was freaking out and so they're just trying to stay away from that kind of action so i don't know i know a lot of and i think 
money is also a big part of it. But a lot of people are already saying, even the people who run spa, they're going, now we have to start Americanizing the entertainment so we can keep up with the Miamis, the Las Vegas. A lot of people are sort of getting frightened by the Americanization of the whole world, basically. Well, they better get used to it. You know, no matter where you go, there is American culture, you know. You walk, I remember some years ago, I walked out of the uh, Stuttgart airport uh, to go to the car rental area. And what do I see? The first sign, golden arches. If you walk out of Karachi airport, what do you see? Golden arches. So, they, you know, there's Coke and there's Pepsi everywhere and there's Amazon everywhere and Cisco systems. I say get used to it, whether you like it or not. Yeah, I understand. They just don't want those golden arches in their neighborhood. If you see what I'm saying? But everybody's like that. It's human nature, Nass. They'll have to accept it. They'll have to suck it up. Since Americans own Formula One, listen, what's good for the goose is good for the hot dog. And you know what? More news for people who don't want Americanization. News came out today that Apple is try, uh, planning to make a bid to pay Formula One uh, twice what they're receiving for uh, TV rights, and they want to get exclusive TV rights for Apple TV. Really shocking. I mean, that'll even price me out. I don't have Apple TV. I don't know an Apple TV. And I know it's the future, but, you know, for us who are still using rabbit ears, it's getting a little bit much. Yes, but one thing is, you know, whether it's Americanization or UKization or Japanization, no matter what you do, you're never going to please everybody. But I think Liberty Media, I mean, the concerns were very valid that they will Americanize the sport or at least some aspects of it. But the overall, they've done a tremendous, tremendous job, man. I mean, the TV ratings and uh, the, the subscribers, the viewership, I mean... If general admission tickets are being sold for $800, you know the sport has arrived in your society. And this is now happening everywhere. Exactly. Don't worry, Nasser. You'll be able to buy Fernando Alonso shirts pretty soon at Jiffy Lube. Oh, that's very good. Oh, you know, speaking of Fernando Alonso, I was uh, watching some of his great courts. And of course, the GP2 was there, and then somebody had put another one next to it and he, in his McLaren Honda days. And he's saying, the engine is beautiful, going even slower. Amazing. So, <laughs> Alonso's shirt will be available on Jiffy Lube and uh, maybe Chick-fil-A also pretty soon. Let's hope so. Yes, sir. Okay, sir, now enough of the uh, Michael Andrade approval. Our congratulations to Michael and Mario. And uh, moving on, looking forward to the race this weekend. Question of the day. Will the big Q stand for quality in Qatar? Or will this be another killing field for Field Marshal Max and his Red Bull Brigade? I think we have a good chance that Max will exceed his own record of most wins in a season from last year. There really is no threat from his teammate. Another Ferrari win or the first of the season for Mercedes is more likely to happen if the driver or the team screw up. Now time after time the team has proven they are the best and fastest when it comes to pitch stops. 
and the wildcat days of the driver are now distant memory, at least till the competition, especially Mercedes and in particular Car 44 catch up to challenge Max on a regular basis. Now I think Car 44 is like a magnet to Car 33. What say you amigo? Who's gonna win the Qatar Grand Prix after Machismo takes the checkered flag? Well, Machismo really needs to take that checkered flag because we're running out of time, we're running out of years, and the clock is ticking. So Fernando knows that, and we'll see what's going on there. Listen, this is Max's. Let's just love it and have fun with it and watch the George and Lewis show that because we know that's going to be a lot of fun with George trying to exert his machismo-ness over clearly is Lewis's team. So there's a lot of things to watch. And of course, silly season is upon us. I'm looking forward to this Grand Prix because I like all Formula One races. But I, I, I want him to wrap up this championship so he can really relax and just let it all hang out. You know, this guy's way of relaxing is to win more races, as Checo found out last year. But that's the way it goes sometimes. Okay, now, McLaren seems to be on the right and fast track. I think, my humble opinion, that Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri at McLaren, this is the stronger, strongest driver pairing in Formula 1 today. Back-to-back -back podiums for Lando and first for Piastri at Suzuka is very strong indication that the team is not too far from challenging for race wins. Let's hope their 2024 car comes up with the last oomph, and I say that because they are still using Mercedes engine, they need to take the fight to max. And do you see McLaren as the team to challenge Red Bull in remaining races and in 2024? Well, you know what I've been doing? I've been listening to Frédéric Vasseur. He knows what's going on in the paddock, and he thinks this is a flash in the pan, doesn't feel threatened, and he believes this will sort of sizzle out and fade away quickly, and they'll be back ahead of McLaren in Qatar. So we'll see what happens. If it's a flash in the pan, I'm happy, sort of, but not because we want competition at the front of the spear. But also, I really do want to see the exciting possibilities of cage rattling at McLaren if they get to that tip of the spear because then because we haven't seen Lando under pressure yet and finally he's got somebody that's not only competitive but could be competitively competitive on the mental level see there's so many different levels but that level man gets very intense if you know what I'm talking about see si, senor and you know, beginning of the season, based on performance, I was very hopeful that Alonso will get a win this year. But I think this is going to be another winless season for Machismo, for Car 1-4 and Car 4-4. Do you agree, sir? I do agree. Not only that, but I think Aston Martin, now that they're getting comfortable in their new facilities, and of course, lots of focus has shifted on the 2024 car on all sides. So I'm afraid, like I said earlier, they're running out of time for Fernando. They could have a few updates coming that could get them back into the top five and maybe a little 
less qualifying trauma or drama. Yes, we need to get Fernando up there. And don't forget, I still want to get the Hulk on the podium this season. So we need a crazy race. We need a wet race. We need a fun race to get those things going. Yes, sir. I mean, you know, we may get rain in Brazil. Obviously, there will not be any rain in Qatar or Abu Dhabi. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay, sir. Now we move on to main feature of the day called season so far. 2023 season so far basically has been a one-man show, but we will take a look at how dominating it has been and how depressing it has been for the prancing horse and the shining star of Stuttgart. The party began in the sands of Arabia. Round 1, Bahrain Grand Prix at Sakhir. The podium was a surprise and no surprise. The no surprise was Red Bull 1-2 with Max over Checo by almost a dozen seconds. The surprise was third man on the podium, driving the Bonmobile, was the agent from Oviedo, Fernando Alonso, an hombre who made his debut in the same race in 2001 as Kimi and Montoya and still going strong. He should get um, sponsorship from Energizer Bunny. He was voted driver of the day, receiving 53% of the vote. Here is one happy chappy after the opening round. Yeah, I mean, it means a lot uh, to everyone in the team. Uh, We didn't expect to be that competitive. I think we didn't expect to be in the podium, to be honest, in 2023. We thought just to start the project, uh, change the concept of the car, try to be in the midfield or in in the front part of the midfield. And then eventually in 2024, you know, get closer to the top three teams. And we find out that uh, we had the second best car in, in Bahrain, just behind Red Bull. So this is just a, an amazing surprise. Uh, very proud of the team. Uh, and hopefully from, from now on we can build something uh, more aggressive in terms of expectations. And, uh, and yeah, keep on going. Round two, again in Arabia, Saudi Arabian Grand Prix at Jeddah. Street circuit, very fast street circuit. Another one-two for Red Bull, but this time in reverse order. Checo takes his fifth win of his career. Max leads the championship by virtue of setting the fastest lap. He started the race 15th on the grid. This was interesting. Century of podiums for Alonso as he is third again. Two podiums in two weeks. Brings back memories of mile 7 Renault days and Priatore going bravo, bravo. But not so fast. Then came the law. Alonso given a 5 second penalty for starting infringement and George Russell gets third. Round 3 Australian Grand Prix from Albert Park, Melbourne. Basically was more like a NASCAR race. Opening lap. Amazing but true. A Mercedes 1-2. GR leading LCH. It all turned out to be a temporary Greenspan moment. Irrational exuberance. The result was the old gold and the new of Formula 1 racing. Another podium for Alonso and third in a row for Red Bull and second for Max. In between was the driver with a lot of close encounters with both of these um, drivers. Yes, we are talking about LCH. Checo was fifth and set the fastest lap. Listen to what the man said. Yeah, it was very chaotic today, a bit of a mess to be honest, uh, especially the, the second red flag, I think that was really unnecessary today, that could have easily been solved with a, with a virtual safety car or a safety car at most, but 
yeah, we uh, we got that red flag, and then um, you basically create even more trouble because then you go out on very cold tires, the safety car is driving super slow, and um, and you arrive, you know, to the grid with stone cold tires and you could see everyone in turn one was having a lot of trouble especially the cars in dirty air they you know nobody crashes on on purpose but uh everyone went white or had a touch and yeah which is very chaotic i note with interest his comment nobody crashes on purpose max may want to fact check with kelly girl she will explain not gladly we move on to round four azerbaijan grand prix from baku Prancing horse on pole with Leclerc, but the gelato in Maranello was melting by lap four as Max with DRS sailed by and from then on it was Arrivederci baby. Lap 10, Nick De Vries in the barrier, Max in the pit, safety car on lap 11. Green means go on lap 14, but with Checo leading. Max was chasing Checo, which is a rare sight in Formula 1. Even though Max radioed the team about brake balance issues, his teammate did a tremendous job and won the race. Checo becomes the first driver to win in Baku more than once. An impressive feat. And the team radio message called him King of the Streets. Max was second. This was 25th 1-2 for Red Bull and pole man Charles Leclerc was third. George Russell was eighth and set the fastest lap. Now we come to cross the pond, cross the water, like to see America, round five, Miami Grand Prix. The second Miami Grand Prix was again won by the inaugural winner, Red Bull and Max. Perez was second and Alonso third. Florida, the orange state, also known as the hurricane state, is the second state to hold F1 races in more than one location. The first U.S. Grand Prix in 1959 was held at Sebring. California is the other state, Riverside and Long Beach being the two cities to hold F1 races. Now, argument can be made Indianapolis is the third city, but that is based on including the Indy 500 as it was part of World Championship, but not a Grand Prix event. Now, this was what got the most uh, press. Before the race, an unknown chap to the local VIP security staff by the name of Jackie Stewart got in trouble while trying to fetch Roger Federer for a few words with Martin Brundle. The fastest serve in your life. How are you? Good to see you on the grid. Good to see you too. Thank you. All right. Good stuff. Uh, who are you cheering for today? I'm cheering for Lewis and George. Uh, it's nice to see them. You know, um, we've come... Across each other, you know, uh, several times I saw George last time at the Labour Cup when I retired. I was the host. And... On a positive note, the end result was better than Martin's encounter with Megan the Stallion. Round six was supposed to be Emilia Romagna Maiden Italy Grand Prix, but unfortunately, because of heavy flooding, the event was cancelled, and which was, of course, the right thing to do. So after the first five races, I'm not sure if the talk was already there, but were you thinking that maybe Red Bull will, will win all the races? Yes, that thought had begun. Everybody was talking about it. Can he go all the way? And it's hard. I mean, those are really, really tough numbers to crack. So, hmm. But it was exciting. We always, we always think of the best and the greatest. Yes. 
Round 6 Monaco Grand Prix. Max, this is interesting. Max took the checkered flag 19.6 seconds ahead of Alonso. Esteban Ocon third. Your favorite Lewis Hamilton set the fastest lap and finished fourth. Checo was 16th, two laps down. Round 7 Viva España. The beat goes on. This time Max wins by 24 seconds over Lewis Hamilton. Russell was third, Checo fourth. Best place Spanish driver was Mini Machismo, Carlos Sainz Jr. in 5th. Round 8, we again cross the pond and come to the Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal. Interestingly, Mr. Rogers, the first Canadian Grand Prix at circuit Gilles Villeneuve was won by Gilles Villeneuve in 1978. Obviously, it was not called by that name at that time. And he was driving the beautiful Ferrari 312 T3, which is one of my all-time favorites. In 2023, it was a beautiful drive by you-know-who. There were three amigos on the podium. Top step of the podium, naturally Max Verstappen, followed by Machismo, also known as Fernando Alonso, and the driver you call, what's up my brother, Lewis Hamilton. The second Red Bull of Sergio Perez was sixth, and he set the fastest lap. Round 9, what a beautiful scenery this was. Austrian Grand Prix at Spielberg. Moa was at this race. And sir, I am planning to be in Europe in July, August next year. And this race is very high on the agenda because the place is so beautiful. And also the British Grand Prix will be in that time frame. So I would like to attend at least two of these races, but we will see how it works out. The place, location, track, absolutely marvelous. Pole, fastest lap, and race victory for man of the moment. That is Max Verstappen. Charles Leclerc was second for Ferrari with the second Red Bull of Paris third. Here is race runner-up. Oh, it feels good because uh, yesterday was a very difficult day. Obviously, Friday we had a really strong day. Um, and today it was not an easy race. Time management was bigger than what we expected, especially in the first part of the race, trying to take, to keep the, the medium under control, which was uh, uh, very difficult, especially with the rears in that first stint. But uh, all in all, we did a, a good race management, which uh, helped us to get P2. Good to be back on the podium. Still a lot of work to do to get uh, the Red Bulls, but uh, we are doing some step forward. The Austrian Grand Prix has a bittersweet taste from an American perspective. Two American-owned teams scored their first and only win here in Austria. That would be Roger Penske's team with John Watson in 1976 and the following year Don Nichols' shadow team with Alan Jones. In 1975, driving for Penske, Mark Donahue had his accident when a tire blew in Sunday's morning warm-up session, which proved to be fatal. Uh, he received some serious internal head injuries. Round 10, British Grand Prix at Silverstone, the birthplace of Formula 1. Another clean sweep, pole, fastest lap and victory for Max over two local lads. Lando Norris for McLaren was second and Lewis Hamilton for Mercedes third. Now we go to round 11, Hungarian Grand Prix at the Hungaroring near Budapest. The best of capitalism comes to the best of communism. Bernie sure knows how to make a deal. Max does a complete Hungarian goulash on the competition by winning the race by 33 seconds ahead of Lando Norris. 
Now that's some serious blitzkrieg by the Red Bull driver. Checo was third, 37 seconds behind his teammate. Basically, this season Max has eaten Checo's whole enchilada, flan, and smashed his piñata, and the season is not even over. Interestingly, Checo was recently asked if he will request Max to let him win his home race, which is coming soon, and very rightly so, Checo responded by saying no, otherwise victory will mean nothing. And let me ask you a question, Mr. Rogers. Even if he was to ask Max, do you think Max will say, oh, Checo, no problemo? He's incapable of doing anything like that. Max is not a bleeding heart. Max loves only one person in the world, Nasser. Jos Verstappen? Uh-uh. Oh, Max Verstappen. Correct. Thank you, sir. Now we go to round 12, Belgian Grand Prix at Spa, the mother of all tracks. Max wins the race by 22 seconds from his teammate. Charles Leclerc was third, 32 seconds behind. Max's intensity in crushing the competition is getting deeper and deeper, and there is no need to ask. Checo found out the answer the hard way last year when he was trying to be second in the championship. Now we come to round 13, Dutch Grand Prix at Sanford. The Dutch cookie monster crumbles the competition for the second year in a row. Alonso was second and set the fastest lap. Somewhere, where I don't know. But somewhere Rob Smedley was saying, Fernando, you are faster than everybody. Pierre Gasly was third for Alpine. Now we come to my all-time favorite race at my all-time favorite track. Round 14, the Italian Grand Prix at Monza. The result was a triple-double. Two Red Bull drivers ahead of two Ferrari drivers and two Mercedes drivers. Max as the man at Monza, like anywhere else. Carlito ahead of Charles and Georgie Boy ahead of teammate who has 103 Grand Prix wins. That's what I'm talking about, Mr. Rogers. Next, round 15, Singapore Grand Prix at Marina Bay Circuit. Ah, the gravy train gets derailed in the heat and humidity of Singapore. And the night belongs to spaghetti culture. Carlos Sainz Jr. gets victory numero dos. His ex-teammate Lando Norris gets DRS help from Carlito to keep LCH behind. The last few laps for Harem Scarum as three drivers had a chance to pull a fast one on Sainz Jr. It was not to be. Lando did not have the grunt to go by Carlito. George crashed out and LCH ran out of time. Max was fifth. The first race of the season, he was not on the podium. Then we come to the last race. Round 16, Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka. GP2, The engine was going much slower than before. Amazing. Like Virginia Slims, the GP2 engine has come a long way and now smoking the competition season after season. At Suzuka, Max took his win number 13 of the season from 16 races so far this season. 
Turning the memory of Singapore racing to ashes, what a day for Zach Brown and McLaren boys, both cars on the podium. Rookie Oscar Piastri started from his first front row position and finished third behind Lando for his first podium. I can, all I can say is, Mr. Brown, you got two lovely drivers, and I'm talking in terms of performance. Lando Norris took the record for the most points scored at Suzuka without a win. Norris is now, this is at least one sad record Nico Hulkenberg is happy that he does not hold. So Norris has now 543 points, the most without a win, and Nico is now second on 530. And sir, speaking of Japan or Nihon, we come to also Toyota may be back in Formula One. Recently, McLaren signed a young uh, Japanese driver who was driving for Toyota's VEC team as a reserve driver. Then came the presence of Toyota chairman Akio Toyota with McLaren at last weekend's Japanese Grand Prix as part of a delegation from the makers of Camry and Corollas. Now media and people are adding two and two. Will Toyota be back in F1 soon powering McLaren? The company has denied these rumors. Akio Toyota-san is a huge motorsports fan and has raced himself at the Nürburgring. With cost cap and new, simpler engine regulation coming in 2026, plus Toyota's vast experience with hybrid engines, I would love to see them back in F1 as engine supplier. Keep it simple and focus on just one thing so your technical guru can commute to work in a Prius instead of a Piper Cub. Mr. Rogers, your French and Zen thoughts on possible re-entry of Formula One, in Formula One, I should say? I, I mean, I don't see this happening. I mean, they were using, McLaren was using Toyota's Cologne wind tunnel for many, many years, and now McLaren finally has their own wind tunnel, so that relationship has been around for a while, just not up front. I know that McLaren likes to spread his wings. I think he's looking at Le Mans, where Toyota actually feels comfortable in saying they've won. So I, I don't see them coming into Formula One. I, the memory is just too bad and sour after spending that kind of money and having a complete failure. So I think they're going to stay from, from Formula One and help McLaren do what they want to do is to be everywhere all the time. On that wonderful thoughts, Mr. Rogers, it's time for some Aquafina in the Palatial Studios. Thank you, Nasser. On that note, why don't we take a quick break and we'll be back after these brief messages. Hi, I'm Max Chilton and you're listening to F1 Weekly. Welcome back to F1Weekly.com. Clark Rogers here, your host. And now, as we spin the globe and go around the world with Motorsports Mondial and the king, the Swami himself, Nasser Hamid. Thank you, sir. And we will start with the going south of the border down Mexico way for some sour grapes. Antonio Perez, who is Papito of Checo Perez, in an interview with Mexican Esto, some publication, he is quoted as saying, Everything is built around Max. He has to respect that. The car is tuned for Max, who likes to have a lot of grip at the front of the car. Checo prefers grip at the back but so he has to drive a car that is tailor-made for Max. 
Checo is second and that is exactly the position he was hired for at Red Bull. There is only room for one world champion. He has huge fans all over the world and is the only driver from Latin America. Any brand in the world would, would be happy with him." End quote. Well, Senor Perez has the right to his opinion, no problem there. And normally when there is smoke, there is some fire. And you know, this talking about um, grip at the front, pointy cars. I remember Eric Zanardi when he was teammate to uh, Michael Schumacher at Benetton. That was his thing also. And I remember him saying in the book that when you set up a car like that, and you're able to master it, the car goes into a corner like a rocket. And these were actual words from Zanardi. So maybe that's what it is. But if you're a very good driver, you have to work around the solution or the problem. But here, on the other hand, a gentleman by the name of Alistair Corwell, who used to be James Hunt's race engineer and also worked with other drivers at McLaren, once said, when there are two drivers in a team, the team will gradually move to the faster driver. And that is a very simple universal rule in motor racing. Once the top dog in the team proves he has the bark and the bite, then he will be thrown the bone first. So if a car was engineered for Ayrton Senna or Michael Schumacher or for Lewis Hamilton or Max, there must be a reason. And one word describes that reason. Performance. Moving on, E for V, Nick de Vries. Remember his days in Formula One? Yes, a very exciting, short, brief moment. But listen, we all need our 15 minutes. Absolutely. Nick de Vries will be back in action next season. The Dutch driver has signed for Indian Mahindra team to race in Formula E alongside Swiss driver Eduardo Mortara. I am surprised he did not come to IndyCar racing. WRC World Rally Championship from Chile. Three different makes in the top three. Ot Tanag from Estonia was the winner for Ford in a Puma. Belgian Thierry Neuville was second in a Hyundai i20. And Elvin Evans from UK was third in his Toyota GR Yaris. Sir, would you like to invite uh, Physico to the palatial studios before we continue with motorsports around the world? Yes, I got him right here in the bullpen. So, yes, Physico, welcome to F1 Weekly. Sit down and have a chit-chat with us. Hi, I'm Giancarlo Fisichella, and you are listening F1 Weekly. Thank you, sir. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we present the main feature of the program, our conversation with Giancarlo Fisichella, and my special thanks to Ms. Barbara Burns of Burns PR Group in making this interview possible. Okay, yeah, I prepared some questions. You're going to be very busy, so let me ask you some questions, okay? Uh, motor racing is very popular in your country, in England. How old were you when you got the racing bug? Well, uh, my father was a big fan of Formula One. And already when I was five, six years old, I was following the race uh, in television with him. And then when I was eight, I started my career in, four, in a go-kart. And uh, from there, uh, I became a Formula One driver, and uh, I'm still driving, yeah. Fantastic. Now, from your karting days, uh, who were some of your toughest competitors who also became professional drivers? Well, um, one, of, uh, guy, one of the guys which is here competing with me even tomorrow is uh, Jan Magnussen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, then there are a few 
younger driver than me, like my teammate Tony Villander, like uh, Garcia. Then uh, I was racing with Verstappen. Uh, now you know the son is racing Formula One. And um, yeah, I mean, lots of very good drivers are still working, still uh, in uh, in a few different categories. You know, I you mentioned uh, uh, Max Verstappen. I met his mom a couple of years ago, and she said she raced against you. Is that correct? That's correct. She was uh, she was quick. She she was on the same uh, age as me, and uh, I remember very well her. Because uh, we were friends, uh, she was uh, the girlfriend of uh, one of my best friends, was Italian driver, and uh, and then she came even be, uh, a friend of my my wife. So uh, we spent a lots of lots of time together. Okay, you had a great season in 1994, winning the Italian F3 Championship, the Monaco F3 race, and the qualifying race in Macau. Between Monaco and Macau, which is more challenging? Yeah, I think Macau it's more challenging. It's uh, first of all it's a much longer um, lens and uh, there are much more difficult corner. Uh, it's it's a great circuit. Uh, but even Monte Carlo with a, with a Formula One car is just amazing. It's a difficult circuit. Uh, you can imagine how, how how much concentration you need uh, and how fit you must be to 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 do this race now um, after this great season you race for Alfa Romeo and touring cars Alfa Romeo is another name I love uh, how much did you enjoy this compared to single seaters and what were the highlights from these two years yeah it was great uh, you know DTM by this this uh, period it was uh, one of the best uh, aim for uh, for the drivers so I was uh, had a good opportunity to, to, to race with Alfa, Alfa Romeo, and uh, I was fighting uh, um, always to win races. Uh, and uh, you know, work for, for a brand like Alfa Romeo was uh, was great. I was really proud of it. I love that logo. Okay, now uh, in your F1 days, maybe even today, Mr. Enrico Zanarini was your manager. Did he was he the reason you went to Alfa Romeo? Enrico uh, was working with Alfa Romeo many years ago in a, I think in a rally uh, race, uh, and then was um, was uh, Eddie Irvine's um, manager. Then when Eddie Eddie stopped his career in Formula One, uh, Enrico became my my manager. Yeah. Now you arrived in Formula One with Minardi. What was your first impression of the world of F1? I, I want to ask you this thing. Your fellow Italian, Mr. Zanardi, he wrote in his book that the first thing that surprised him is how many uh, useless people were on the grid before the start of the race. Was that your uh, impression also? Yeah, I was. Um, it was my impression also, and uh, I remember, you know, in. My, my first race in Formula One was in uh, Melbourne, and uh, I couldn't believe the first time when I was uh, next to in the driver's briefing next to Michael Schumacher, Gerhard Berger, Jean Alesi. Uh, it was great for me, and uh, I had great memories. Yeah. Now, you, this is interesting. I was watching this um, as I have all the races. You collected your first Grand Prix trophy at Imola in 2003, but the victory was scored thousands of miles away in Interlagos. Now, what I want to know is this. Your team owner, Eddie Irvine, is very flashy with dress and language. What kind of language did he use that day when he found out that Kimi was the winner? 
Yeah, it was. Uh, I can't say what, <laughs> which kind of words it used, but uh, we know we were sure we were the winner. Yeah. So we were a little bit upset about it, and um, but yeah, after one week they understood that there was a big mistake by the by the. Um, uh, people or yeah, official people there, and uh, they give me back the victory. Now your pole and second place at Spa led to the drive with Ferrari at Monza. What was that feeling like for an Italian driver driving for Ferrari? And is the pressure for driving Ferrari that much bigger? Oh yeah, I was. Uh, you know, I did um, <clears throat> by uh, since this moment I did 13 years in Formula One. But when I signed with, with Ferrari to do the last five races of the season in 2009, it was amazing. Um, and, you know, to do the first race in Ferrari in Monza was a huge thing. So uh, there was a lot of pressure. It was great for me. Um, uh, you know, one another dream of my life became true. But uh, unfortunately, the car wasn't, wasn't easy and wasn't quick enough. Uh, and uh, it was uh, a, bit, uh, a bit difficult for me. No, you said you were not quick. Obviously, you're a quick driver. Uh, does it really take a lot of time to get used to Formula One and going from one team to another team? Well, you know, in the middle of the season, it's not easy at all. Even because the Ferrari uh, car was different than the Force India. In the Ferrari car, there was the cars. There was uh, the, the front flap adjustment by, by electronically. So... I need to learn a lot just in, uh, in the Friday morning pre-practice, which is not enough. Now, um, you had two teammates in Formula One who were not easy teammates in terms of personality. Maybe one was very political or so they say. How was your relationship with Ralph Schumacher and Fernando Alonso? Well, Ralph was not great. Uh, was um, you know um, we were at the beginning of the season uh, the, of the career in Formula One, and uh, there was not a good friendship with Fernando. It was good. We won two championships. Um, we worked together, and uh, we we are still very very friends. So uh, Fernando is a is a great guy, great great driver. You know, talking of Fernando, um, now this was after you left Renault. Uh, it was reported in the media that Mr. Zanarini made some comments that uh, you did not get a fair, uh, like a sort of a fair deal at Renault. They were more interested in Alonso. Uh, is that your feeling also? No, I mean uh, it was a difficult. I start my uh, my first race in Renault with the pole position and victory. Then after that, I had uh, some issue on electronic stuff or mechanical stuff, and I couldn't score enough points to. To fight for the championship, so we prefer to, um, you know, help Fernando to win the, the the drivers' championship. But it was important to win even the constructor championship. So we won two championship drivers and constructors, and uh, I did uh, my best, and I am proud of it. Now, um, one race that you know I was hoping, and I used to watch at five in the morning in California with a couple of my racing buddies. You came very, very close to winning the Japanese Grand Prix in 2005. Mm. Um, how, when something like that happens, you lose the lead on the last lap. How long it takes to recover from that kind of a loss? Yeah, I mean, you know, I had a, I had a drop of the engine in the last uh, 10 laps, and uh, Kimi was catching me very quickly. Uh, unfortunately, I was 10, 10 kilometers lower on the on the straight finish line, and I couldn't do anything. So. Um, you're a good man. You did not take him out. You know, I know a lot of people. Uh, 
What, what did the team say to you? Did they uh, want they, you to they, take they him they on? No, they knew that there was a problem with the engine, so it was important to score points for yeah. the championship. Yeah. yeah, great. Okay, now you r- raced in Formula One for seven teams. Which team was the best environment in terms of uh, you know letting the driver thrive and you know not put any unnecessary pressure on the driver? Well, I think yeah, Renault by 2005-2006 was uh, was a great team. Uh, they were very clever. The, the car was very good, and uh, the people, uh, organization-wise, uh, it was uh, amazing. But even in Ferrari, when I went to in Ferrari 2009, was uh, you know great, great team. Okay. Now uh, you've raced at Le Mans. How would you compare racing at Le Mans 24 hours compared to Daytona 24 hours? Well. Different, you know, track first of all. Then uh, different uh, atmosphere, different uh, rules, especially different rules uh, in here in uh, in Daytona. Um, you got a lot of full cars yellow, and you got a chance to to gain uh, one lap when you are behind the, the safety car in. Uh, in, the, in Le Mans is not possible. So uh, yeah, if even if you are want to to last behind the leader, in, after a few hours of race, uh, nothing is finished. In Le Mans, it's more difficult to recover in that problem. So uh, it's a different. It's 24 hours, both 24 hours, but different uh, styling. You know. What's it like going at Mulsanne at 200 miles per hour at two in the morning. Yeah, it's uh, it's not easy. The, the visibility is quite low, uh, and then you need to be concentrate on the on the road and uh, even on the on the prototype. They are coming behind you very quickly. Uh, plus the the difficulty of the you know um, of the body. You are already tired and. Uh, you know in your mind that you got still uh, f- uh, 10, 10 hours to go, 12 hours to go, so it's a very, very difficult race physically and mentally. Okay, in sports car racing, Porsche has been historically a big competitor for Ferrari. This year they're going with a mid-engine layout, and a lot of people are asking them in their press conference, do you think that's cheating or it's just a smart way of doing things for them? Oh, I can't say this. I think there are rules and... Uh, and there are there is the, the federation who's looking on it. Uh, maybe maybe it's okay. I think it's okay. Um, it will be uh, very tough to to beat them uh, with a new car. It looks very competitive. Let's see if if it's uh, reliable already for the 24 hours. Okay, at least famous for you know fashion and flair and all that. And you've raced in Formula One for many years, so you're totally qualified for this next question. Which country has the best looking grid girls? <laughs> Usually hungry. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's good. Okay, now you've raced here quite a bit in the United States. What is your uh, favorite track here in the United States and also in Formula One? Well, there are lots of nice tracks here in America. Um, maybe my favorite is uh, Virginia. It's uh, um, Watts' Glen and uh, Road America. The 2005 Indy, the Michelin fiasco, yeah. um, at what stage were you told as a driver to come into it? Actually, I was, I was at that race, and when I looked at the big screen at, as, as the race was starting, it was, and I'm making this up, it was your car that I saw first coming in. Uh, you were Renault, right? Uh, 2005? Uh, when, when, did you, when were you told as a driver that 
this is what you you will have to do well you know um the the main reason was uh safety sure. so uh, for safety issue uh or me they ask us to to do the the outlap and uh, come in because uh the day before uh, a couple of big accident uh, um they had a, they have a big accident with the because the because uh, yeah Ralph Schumacher as well because of the tire issue so for safety was uh, was important to do it okay now when will we see senior christopher fisichella in motor racing no nah, i don't know i don't think so he's a good uh, soccer player <laughs> okay and you, and you, you want to keep him that way yeah yeah I prefer it. Okay. Now, you know, like I said to you earlier, I'm a big fan of Italian motor racing. Your country has a great heritage from Nuvolari to Ferrari and from Monza to Mille Emilia. What will it take to see the first Italian Formula 1 world champion since Ascari in 1953? What 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 will it take? Uh, what does Italian Federation needs to do so we have a very competitive and guy who gets a chance? Yeah, yeah, it's not easy uh, to get in Formula 1. You need uh, support, big support from uh, federation, from sponsors and uh, from uh, teams. Now I think uh, Ferrari is giving a good opportunity to uh, young drivers uh, with the FDA, uh, Ferrari Driver Academy and especially to Giovinazzi which is now the test driver. So uh, I think uh, Ferrari can help quite a lot in. Okay, thank you so much. Hi, I'm Giancarlo Fisichella and you are listening F1 weekly grazie mille thank you very thank much you. all the best fisico grazie mille grazie for speaking with the people at f1weekly.com gracias okay sir more motorsports action from around the world we go to japan moto gp from motegi uh, this is a track owned by honda and of course the oval portion of the track is where danica patrick made history by winning a race The MotoGP race Jorge Martin makes it two wins in a row ahead of Francesco Bagnaia while Marc Marquez Repsol Honda team claimed his 101st MotoGP podium Honda in uh, MotoGP is having the issues Mercedes is having in Formula 1 the race was red flag due to rain and now so this is a series because of a few drivers here I'm following with a lot of interest and i attended one of the races at monza at towards the end of june this year and that is italian formula 4 this time they were at mugello a track owned by ferrari there were three races over the weekend three pole position and three wins for the second coming of robert kubica ladies and gentlemen please say hello to kasper stuka he has now gone six in a row he drives for us racing the S in the name is for Ralph Schumacher. Red Bull Jr from London town Arvid Lindblad crashed out with another driver while battling for third which I believe was in the race too. This became a game changer in the championship. Listen to this Mr Rogers. Before the summer break Arvid had a 100 point lead in the championship. Casper after winning 6 races in a row now leads the championship with 258 points. Arvid is second on 256.5 points. American McLaren Jr. Ugo Ugochukwu is third with 240 points. And the final round is in two weeks at Vallelonga near Roma. Now we come to, not baby comeback, but curry comeback. 
After the success of MotoGP race in India, the natives are getting restless for the return of Formula One and Liberty Media is looking into the possibility of adding both international circuit on the calendar in the near future. There were three Formula One races in India between 2001 and 2013, all won by Sebastian Vettel for Red Bull Re Renault. I would love to see the race back on the calendar. Now this is what I think Mr. Rogers. I think Sebastian should be invited to wave the checkered flag and treated to some very spicy curry with cucumber salad. Of course, with proper express written consent of Narain Kartikeyan. Would you like to see Indian Grand Prix back on the schedule? Yes, uh, I'd love to see the Indian Grand Prix back. Of course, those people sacrificed a lot to get that track built. And of course, Sebastian is planning to build little hotels for cows. So it'll be exciting. And uh, we'll see what the future brings for those cows. Well, you know, if he's going to build uh, hotels for bees there, trust me, there's no sh shortage of bees in Delhi. So he may have to do a build a skyscraper. He's going vertical for sure. Okay, good for him. Where's the money? Now, this uh, the other numbers, uh, financial reserve for Aston Martin Racing Team. The turnover rose from 150 million pounds to just over 188 pounds. Thanks to increase in sponsorship investment and as well as increased prize money. Gross profit dropped from 42.7 million to 35.5 million pounds. This is interesting. We need more directors like this. The directors, including Lawrence Stroll, received no remuneration from the company in 2022. Overall, the statements show Aston Martin made a loss of 52.9 million in 2022 up from 43.3 million in 2021. And this is as per the forms and financial documents submitted to the British authorities. Now, sir, Musical Mondial. Before we go into Musical Mondial, which is normally a final stop here, anything else you want to ask, talk, discuss, give your... Yeah, I, I was sad about Aston Martin taking such a big loss. I mean... A lot of that could be Fernando's uh, pay raise for next year. So, I don't know. Fernando, might, he might be a little grumpier in the saddle next year. Okay, so now we come to Musical Mondial. Since Max has gone through the season like a hurricane, we invite Neil Young to the palatial studios to sing like a hurricane. Thank you for listening and please enjoy. Bye-bye. Once I thought I saw you 